Good evening, New Life East. How are we doing? Are we alive and well? Online, thank you for joining us. We're glad you're here. Something I love about New Life so much is that we are always blessed before we leave. And I just wanted to bring, read a blessing over us um, right now, just as we're getting started, just to kind of keep us in a frame of mind as we're worshiping through this time together, okay? So let me just bless you. If you would, just hold out your hands and just receive this, okay? I bless you with bringing the glory of God. Your culture is yearning and crying out for something more than religion or churchiness, but the legitimate, powerful presence of God. I bless you with desperate hunger and thirst for bringing the manifest glory of God to your community. I bless you with vision and anointing to see what is necessary to prepare the way. I bless you with seeing outside your religious traditions. I bless you with the ability to sing the song of the gospel in a different key, doing no harm to the word or message that must remain unchanged. I bless you in the name of the glory of Israel. Lord Jesus, we are here for you tonight. We are here to praise your name. So as we continue to worship, let's be a people that is known in this community that declares the glory of God, okay? Can we do that? Let's worship strong. Here we go. Did you feel the mountains tremble?
glad you came tonight. Oh God, we thank you that your joy is in this place. Ah. In your presence, Psalm 16 says, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So we agree with that, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy of the Lord is our strength. If you're tired, if you're weary, begin to call upon the name of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength tonight. Yeah. Let's sing it out. Let's sing it Open up the doors. Let the music play. Your 
96, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Let's sing about why glory is due his name right here. Cause you silence fear and all shame.
which is a psalm of God's protection of God's power. Would you quiet your hearts before the Lord as I read this to us? Let this be your posture before the Lord. I come to you for protection, O Lord my God. 
Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Oh Lord, my God, if I've done wrong or I'm guilty of injustice, if I have betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, well then let my enemies capture me. Let them trample me into the ground. Let, let my honor be left in the dust. Wake up, my God, bring justice. I'm gonna skip down to verse 10 where it says this, God is my shield, saving those whose hearts are true and right. God, we come to you for protection tonight. God, we acknowledge you as the all-powerful one. God, we submit to you tonight, Lord. We remind our souls that you've got it. And God, we thank you, Lord, that you save those whose hearts are true and right. And Lord, this is our posture of, of trying to be true and right. God, as we show up and worship, Lord, we wanna be true and right, Jesus, and we believe, Lord, that you, you are saving us. Lord, that we are safe in your hands. God, when we see everything around us, Lord, may we center ourselves in you. May we try not to figure it out, but just acknowledge that you've got it, Lord, that you save us, that you protect us, and that you are a shield. Amen. My friends, my name is Colin Stoddard. I'm the executive pastor of New Life East, and uh, this is our last Thursday night at New Life North. Man, and I don't know if that, yeah, that's, it's sad, but it's also, uh, it's also happy because we've had the opportunity to keep, to keep meeting here regularly on Thursday nights. And so if we can, would you guys just say thank you by clapping your hands for the New Life North staff? Yeah, thank you. It is such a privilege to be one of seven congregations that meets its New Life Church at, at, that meets as New Life Church because we have the resources to gather here. But because Grand Peak Academy is opening up again to resume classes, they have said come back. And as a matter of fact, Shailene Smith, our children's ministry director, and I were walking through Grand Peak Academy a couple weeks ago in preparation to see how are we going to do children's ministry and things like that. And as we were walking through the hallways, one of the teachers. Uh, heard us and she came out of her classroom and she said, I am so glad that you guys will be coming back. Our families and our kids need you. That is awesome. We have had so much favor with District 49 and that's because of our prayers. That's because of our prayers and that's because of, of God who's made that partnership happen. And so we wanna keep in mind uh, as you go from this place later on, we just keep in mind, we wanna pray, pray for our teachers. We wanna be a blessing to Grand Peak Academy like they've been a blessing to us. So August 13th, which is next Thursday, we will not be meeting here. We'll be meeting at Grand Peak Academy. We'll be having a prayer and party in the parking lot to prepare for the ministry year that we will have moving forward. And so we have three great food trucks that'll be there. Um, and uh, don't come at 6.30, come at six. We wanted to give you guys enough time to uh, to eat some food and we'll have, we'll have some worship as well. So come to that. And then four days later on Sunday the 16th, services at nine and 11 as normal. So it would help us a lot. We're not gonna do contract tracing like we did when we first started meeting at North, those of you who were with us when we did that. But we will send out a link on Monday uh, for you to pre-register your kids for children's ministry and also let us know if you're gonna come. And that's simply just to help us know how to serve you better so that we know how many chairs that we're pulling out. We're gonna have this sanctuary social distance and everything. So 
this is a lot of logistics. Thank you for your patience, but we are excited to be back at Grand Peak Academy very, very soon. Um, there are four ways to give of your offering. You can give on the boxes in the back that are attached to the wall. You can also give via text. You can give online. Uh, and if you're watching online, we wish that you were here, but you can also mail your gift to the address that's on the screen. People of God, would you continue to, to lift your voices as we continue to worship tonight?
my life feels so empty without the James bumper right there, the, the crosswalk. Yeah, I feel. Hey, New Life East. Hello. Hey, how are you guys? We're doing well tonight. Hello at home. I uh, didn't hear. Yeah, sorry. I'm Brett Davis. Uh, I'm pastor over at Friday night. We know each other, right? We don't need to do the uh, introductions anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Tim's got my back. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 17 this evening. Matthew 17 is where we're going to be. You can go ahead and turn there, load it up on your phone. Um, the church calendar. When you're not in the middle of a series, when you're done with James, and when you are about to start the book of Revelation, um, and you don't know what to preach, you take a look at the church calendar, and you say, hey, what's the church calendar? What's going on? Anything interesting? And Andrew and I looked at it, and it's the Feast of the Transfiguration is today. It's today. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Matthew 17, we're going to look at the story of Jesus' transfiguration, see if it has anything to teach us. Uh, so, uh, Matthew 17, uh, starting verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led, uh, led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses. And Elijah, talking with Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord, and everyone said, thanks be to God. Uh, and so, living Lord Jesus, who is here, you're here right now, we ask that you would come and speak to us this evening. We don't, um, we don't need life hacks. We don't need seven steps to a better us. We need life from the dead. We need ultimate hope. And you're the one who gives it. And so, Spirit, we yield to you. We make space for you. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask that you'd come speak for your servants are listening. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can we just get this out of the way right now? This is a weird story, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, we just, we just grew up in church. Anyone who's grown up in church is like, oh, yeah, Jesus gets transfigured. But, like, anyone who hasn't grown up in church is like, what on earth? Jesus got 
trans what? Figured? Jesus takes three of the people who are closest to him, like his three closest companions, up a mountain, and something freaky weird happens up there. Like, <laughs> it does. When you, when you look across, like, cultures of the ancient world and, like, history, mountains are almost universally considered to be sacred places. Um, the ancients expected to find the gods on mountaintops. Shouldn't be news to anybody, but we just need to refresh ourselves. Mountains were where you went to um, find the divine. Just a quick glance. I'm terrible with directions. Joy, which way is the front range? That that, which way? That way. If you look at that, I do this no matter what building I'm in, I can't tell where we are. if you look at the front range, it just takes a quick glance to recognize, like, why they thought that. Especially, like, if you're looking at Pike's Peak and the, the, the clouds are hanging low that day. It's easy to see why they thought this way. A mountain is literally the place. It's the, the literal place where the earth is sticking up and, like, seeming to touch the heavens, like the clouds will even be touching them. It's the place where like the world of men seems to reach up and touch the world of the gods. And so even, we experience this, even when we go like on a, to a mountain to like camp or hike or we're riding our bike or whatever, we, um, it's easy to feel like we have risen above like the everyday clutter and noise of the world and somehow feel like we're in more harmony, like with things, with, with the universe, with God. Things are just right up here. And the ancients had a, they had a similar impulse to us. They, um, they told all kinds of stories about mountains, from particularly uh, famous mountains. What's the famous one that you might have heard of, Mount Olympus? Someone got it. I just can't hear you because this is a cavernous room. From Mount Olympus, which is like the, the second highest mountain in, on the Balkan Peninsula, the ancient Greeks, they told all kinds of stories about like the gods and goddesses, you know, Zeus, Hermes, Apollo, Athena, you know, those guys who supposedly lived and dwelled on that mountain. And then other cultures, other ancient cultures like the Sumerians or the Aztecs even, they would actually build their own mountains, ziggurats is what we call them, ziggurats. That's what they're doing. They were temples that were trying to do what the mountains do. They're trying to climb up into the clouds and touch the heavens. In all likelihood, this is what the Tower of Babel is. It's a ziggurat, the grand, awe-inspiring mountains over there. The places where like the t- like towering heights and majestic beauty seem to like touch the heavens. That's the place where you find the gods. That's where you go to find the divine. In the ancient Hebrews, they told uh, stories about mountains as well. They were uh, similar to some of the ancient world around them and then altogether different as well. Um, they told uh, stories that were... Um, Similar because they had experienced God on a mountain, but it was different because this mountain could not contain their God. Their God did not live on this mountain. For example, 
The book of Exodus, you guys remember this. Charlton Heston leads a whole bunch of people out of, Moses leads a whole lot of people out of slavery. And um, they're freed from their bondage in Egypt. And then the one true God, transcendent Yahweh, he manifests himself on Mount Sinai, sometimes called Horeb, depending on the tradition you're looking at, in a great cloud descends on the mountain to meet Moses and the Israelites. So it's not that like Yahweh lived on the mountain. It's, it's like mountains were where you expected to find the divine. That's where you expected. That's where everybody just assumed you would. And so God meets us where we're at. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great? That's such grace right there. He met them at a place that they expected, at a place that they could understand to bring them forward. Another story in the, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures is a story of, of course, when Yahweh meets the prophet Elijah on that exact same mountain. Elijah's in danger, and he's looking for like comfort and like new direction in life. And so he goes to the place where everybody's told him, God did something way back there. God met us. He goes to the place that he can understand, a mountain, and God meets him. It's in a very different way than he met Moses and the people of Israel, but he meets him nonetheless. And so when this story says in verse 1 that Jesus takes his disciples up on a high mountain, everybody in the ancient world is like ready for it. They know. It's like you're setting up. It's like, why the chicken cross the road? You know, they know that like, okay, something divine is going to, something freaky weird is going to happen on this mountain. That's what happens on mountains. The mountain is the place where everyone expected to meet God. It's the place that transcends, the place that gets above. It's above the common and everyday. You can finally get away from all that awful ordinariness of our lives, you know, just the humdrum mundane, ugh, it's the place where you can get all the feels. Oh, I just feel like I'm getting close to God. And we, we, it's funny because we look back on ancient cultures and we think that they're primitive. Oh, how quaint. They saw the, the earth touching the heavens and they thought that's where you meet God. We look at them and say, oh, bless their hearts. But you know what? The, the thing is, we're the exact same. We expect to find God on mountaintops. We expect it. When we have a particularly meaningful experience, when we feel like we've had a particularly profound encounter with God, what do we call those encounters? (laughs) I, I can't hear you, but you're all saying it. Mountaintop experiences, that's what we call them. Growing up uh, in the youth group, of, a, of an evangelical church, like you do. Um, we all looked forward to one particular weekend with, with much enthusiasm at the, uh, more than anything else during the summer, and it was, of course, youth camp. Everyone was looking forward to this because not only did you kind of get to go to the beach and you get to hang out with friends, but we all just knew in our limited understanding that like that is the place that we are going to have some sort of like transcendent experience. We're going to experience God. By that I mean we're going to sway with each other and cry and confess our deepest, darkest secrets and hope nobody asks about us about them two weeks later is what I mean. Um, it was a place 
That summer camp was a place that would transcend our day-to-day routines. The awful ordinariness of school would just fall away, and we just felt like we were close to God. And as adults, we may be tempted to look at those teenagers over there and say, oh, how quaint. Those little adolescents, bless their little hearts. They're chasing mountains. They're chasing the places where they feel like they're closer to God, but we're chasing mountains too. Adults are. It just looks a little different. Within our circles, a lot of times it's like the next like next church service, next presbytery. As soon as we get there, man, that is an incredible. First Wednesday, I'm gonna encounter God, the next weekend retreat. I'm go- that's gonna be the, the next worship album by whoever your favorite worship artist is that just like clicks and it's got the right hook and it just takes you to that space. The next best-selling book that's going to get, or the next tweet, perhaps, if you're in the, that gives you just the next click of insight. That's where I'm going to, we're chasing mountains. We're chasing mountains. We've got ideas about where and how we're going to encounter God. And so we chase those experiences. The mountaintop is our favorite way of experiencing God. And so it's no wonder that Jesus takes them to the top of this mountain, whether it's Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor, we don't really know. But it's no surprise to anyone in the ancient world that something freaky weird happens up here. Everyone expects it in that culture, and we today love going to the tops of mountains. And so when verse 2 says that Jesus is transfigured before them, he's transformed before them. Jesus blows up every expectation that they have of of who he is, of what he's going to be about in the world, because Jesus goes nuclear on them. He's just like, suddenly his face is just shining like the sun, is what it says. Clothes are like light. I, I, I presume it's like those LED headlamp lights and cars that you're like, who invented those? I'm going to die. Please pass me. Like he's shining out and then two people appear with him. Moses and Elijah, the Israelite dream team appears. The hopes and dreams of the Jewish people could not be better represented by two other people. These We've already talked about them tonight. They go up on the mountain and encounter God. These are the two people who embodied the history of the Jewish people, the great lawgiver in Moses and the quintessential prophet in Elijah. The law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, are on a mountain talking with Jesus? What is... What's being said about Jesus right here? The two archetypes of Israel who arrived on a mountain to meet with God have now arrived on a mountain to meet with Jesus. 
Peter doesn't know what to say to any of this. I don't think any of us would. He, said, he just starts talking in verse four and he says, guys, 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 this is, this is awesome. It's like, it's like the heavens really have descended, like the, the Eden reality that we've been anticipating year after year in the Feast of Tabernacles each year has finally arrived. And so what, what should we do? What should we do? I, I got it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just spitballing here. Just throwing it. It's not a good idea. We don't have to do it, but maybe we could set up some of those tabernacles, right? That's the feast, right? We could set up some Sukkot booths, some shelters so you guys could camp out. Let's camp out here. Let, I don't ever want to go home. Let's, let's stay here and camp out and hold on to this. This is really good. And he gets interrupted. Thank, thank goodness Peter gets interrupted. He, someone needed to. So God does. And this giant luminescent fog comes rolling in. Verse 5 calls it a bright cloud descends on the mountain. And the voice from the cloud repeats the words of Jesus' baptism so that everyone can see and hear, this is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. And then adds another line. It's a line for us tonight. Listen to him. Listen to him. So just to recap, Jesus goes nuclear. He's acting like Yahweh, talking to Moses and Elijah as a hurricane cloud of light and glory comes rushing over them and has, he has the divine identity proclaimed over him and the disciples don't know what to do. They're like, I think they're doing what all of us would do. They're looking for a change of underwear. You know what I mean? They're just like terrified. This is like rocking back and forth in the middle of the vortex of all of this fear and confusion and overwhelmness, Jesus approaches them, verse 7, and what does he say to them? Listen to him. Touches them. Puts a hand on, on their shoulder. Maybe, more likely, maybe, maybe he like cups his hands around, around their head because they're like curled up in the fetal position on the ground. And what does he say? He says, get up. Don't be afraid. So they like open their eyes for a second and they realize it's, it's just Jesus. He's, that's what the text says. Verse eight says, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So for just the next couple of minutes, something seismic just shifted under our feet, like the ground just moved. If God had a, uh, I've got one right here. If God had a Colorado driver's license, I don't know. I think he could drive in any state. But if he had, <laughs> but if he had a Colorado driver's license, good anywhere um, in the universe, um, two things just got clarified on his driver's license: the photo and the address. Instead of like some sort of blurry photo now on God's ID, like a shady sort of silhouette, suddenly you have the face of Jesus shining off of the card, like the sun. Jesus is what God is like, according to the transfiguration. God is not a little like Jesus. God is exactly like Jesus in all the ways. God is, is Christ-like. When God looks in the mirror, 
God sees Jesus looking back at him. I don't know how else to say. That's what God is like. But it's not just the picture getting clarified on the ID. It's actually also the address. Because the transfiguration is pointing us to where the presence of God is found. Most immediately and with certainty, the presence of God is embodied in Jesus, the one who cannot be contained in the highest heavens is what Solomon prays in 1 Kings 8. Or in temples, he's now enfleshed in bones and blood. They could like see him. They could see the divine mystery behind all things. They could see him. He's like visible, touchable, like huggable. He's cradling their head in his hands. But you know what's really remarkable? This is the thing that gets me about the transfiguration. If our minds aren't blowing already about God becoming enfleshed. It's what the divine mystery enfleshed in blood and bone does. Verse 9 says, as they were coming down the mountain. It's time to leave. Time to leave the mountain. The time has come to come off the mountaintop. When we read the transfiguration, we focus on like the spectacle of it, the dazzling nature of it. And we're right to. God's glory shining through for all to see. God is like Jesus. But in we like to focus on that, on the like the dazzling spectacle of it. Jesus, bright and shiny. We really like that. But it, because in that moment, Jesus is confirming everything that we think we know about the presence of God and what he should be doing. My tendency, all of our tendency, is to focus in on the shiny, the glamorous, the loud, the razzle, the dazzle, the spectacular, nuclear power, whatever we want to call it. We think that's what it looks like when God arrives. When God's at work, it looks big like that. That's what it looks like. Jesus goes nuclear on the mountain, and then Jesus walks down the mountain. We blow past it, but we need to catch it. It's gospel. It's really good news. In this moment, Jesus is challenging everything that we think we know about what the presence of God looks like and what he should be doing. It's time to plunge back into common everyday life. That's what it's time to do. What we call the awfulness of the ordinary, especially during this time. New normal, oh, it's the worst. Ordinary, like get it away from me. I fight tooth and nail against the ordinary. I chase mountains after all. I want to, because everybody knows that mountain is where you're going to experience God, that's where you're going to, and I'm not knocking mountains. They're amazing. It's amazing to like look at them. It's amazing to ski down them. They're amazing places to visit. But the mountaintop, it's, it's a lovely place to visit, but it's an impossible place to live. It's an impossible, and we want to. We want to live there. It's a bit like what we call falling in love is what it's like. Most of us know 
a little bit about what that's like, I think, even if they didn't reciprocate, you know what it's like to fall. Uh, like the high of having like a new relationship, that is a mountaintop to be sure, isn't it? I'm not lying up here. You, you meet this new person and the mystery of them like overcomes you and you begin like falling for them and you've got all the feels and it's like intoxicating, isn't it? You're just thinking about it and it's exhausting. It's exo- I mean, it's fun and it's exciting, but it's also like desperately scary and depleting. It's not sustainable. It's, that's why your brain doesn't do it very long. The, the whole point of going through that strange, intoxicating, really scary season of meeting somebody new is to eventually arrive at a new kind of ordinary with this person. When we see somebody who, we know this person, some of us do, um, who's always jumping from relationship to relationship because they're hooked on that chemical cocktail of brains going on in infatuation. They're hooked on getting to the mountaintop of a new relationship. We recognize when they're relationship hopping like that, something is wrong, Something's wrong there. If you, we could say it this way about them and about us. If we're always chasing the next life-changing experience, perhaps none of them have changed our lives. That's the reason you have a life-changing experience is so that you can have a new ordinary life. We would say to that person who's jumping from relationship to relationship, like, there's something better than the first couple of months. Like to actually know that person and to be known by them, to to not feel scared around them, to not have to impress them, to like serve them and give to them when they're at their lowest, to be comfortable with silence with them, to have your ordinary, everyday life just like entwined with theirs, that's better. What I'm trying to say this evening is that ordinary is where God lives. Ordinary is where God lives and we're fighting against it. Many of us are missing God in our lives right now because we're chasing God somewhere he doesn't live. He lives in the ordinary. If you um, are somewhat in the room, if you're faithfully following Jesus and you're like longing, you're aching for something dazzling and you haven't had a mountaintop experience recently and you just feel like so like, uh, can can I let you in on something? You're not doing anything wrong. You don't have to reach up into the heavens. You're literally surrounded by them all the time. The transfigured Christ, the shining one, the one in whom all things subsist has come down the mountain. We're chasing the mountain And it's glorious when God takes us there, but the mountain is not where God lives. God lives in our ordinary moments, um, in being consistently and fully present with your family. 
That's where God lives. In faithfully doing your job, even when you don't feel like it. That's because it's the right thing to do. And people are, that's where God lives. <laughs> in being kind, kids, in being kind to that kid in class who doesn't have any friends, that's where God lives. In the midst of serving the least and the lowest in your life or in this city, that's where he is. There's nothing awful about the ordinary, despite all, all of our fighting against it. It's not awful. It, Jesus created it, and he's filled it with his presence. We could say it this way as we're wrapping up and coming to the table. God reveals himself on the mountain so that we'll follow him off of it. Like, down it, and when we're not on it. We, when, we, when we come down from like a mountaintop experience when the razzle and dazzle have faded and the, and the place where Jesus is inviting us to, he's inviting us to the place where we like, okay, it's ordinary, everyday life. You get to shoulder. You get to carry. <laughs> that's, that's actually what Jesus says as the story ends. He says, you know, I'm going to die, Right? I'm coming down the mountain, and I'm, I'm going to die. The, the son of man, you know where I'm headed? I'm not staying on the mountain. I'm actually going into death. Like, not only do I not live on the mountain, I'm going to fill the darkest valley with my presence. I'm going to the cross so that even in the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for I am with you. There is no place that you can go that I will not go, and I walked out of the grave, and so you will too. Some of, some of us this evening need to hear that. You need to hear that God is with you. He's with you even though you haven't experienced him in a while. Even though you can't like find that mountaintop you're like looking for. Your ordinary life is what God wants. It's all he wants. Ordinary. It, it, it could be that your relationship with Jesus is deepening and that you guys are just getting comfortable with silence for a little bit. Some of us uh, in the room, we just need to like repent of mountaintop idolatry because that's what it is. That's what Israel is always getting called to the carpet on. Those primitives over there, they're, they're worshiping idols on mountains. You don't need a high place. That's what we're all chasing is the place where we can finally secure God's presence chasing mountains, but here's the thing, not much grows on a mountaintop, including you, including me. There's nothing awful about the ordinary. It is the place where God lives. It is the place where we grow. It is actually the only sustainable place to live, is in an ordinary, everyday life. And your ordinary, everyday life is what God loves, and he is entwining self with you. Let's bow our heads. Some of you tonight, I just get the sense that you need to, as Jesus maybe cupped the disciples' cheeks, you just need to see Jesus cupping your cheeks tonight. You need to hear 
like the great mystery of love saying to you in the midst of like a hurricane around you to say, get up, don't be afraid. Listen to him. I'm with you in the lowlands. I'm with you in the highlands. Don't chase the mountain. Just be present with me. Don't be afraid. So Jesus, may we hear that tonight. May we trust that one day you're going to make this world your holy mountain. You're going to banish death and swallow it up forever. Teach us not to be afraid and to live our lives that you're already in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you to stand. You guys can stand. We're going to sing one more song. May offer your worship and your heart up to Jesus in this time.
eyes. So thank you for uh, thank you for uh, letting me come and be a part of this with you guys tonight. Just as a reminder, next week at six o'clock, food trucks be there, and then next Thursday you're not here. You are food trucks, and then Sunday you're back at Grand Peak Academy. And so we'll see all of you guys there. If you talking to you. We'll see you there as well. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his smiling countenance to you. May you feel his smile and may he grant you peace in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen and amen. Go in peace.